This is Speaking Well. I am your host, Carol Bush. This is the podcast about communication and everyday life. In each episode, we talk with a communication expert and scholar and explore how communication research can provide resources for navigating complex interactions. We will talk about relationships and politics, social media and film, public speaking, and private talk. In this podcast, we will offer straightforward but often challenging explorations about communication's centrality to our lives. In this episode, we talk with Dr. Greg Dickinson. Dr. Dickinson is a professor of communication studies at Colorado State University and has chaired the department since 2014. He studies the rhetoric of place and space, thinking deeply about how the built environment constitutes meaning, signals cultural and social values, and shapes memory. Since this is the final episode of the academic year and because Dr. Dickinson conceived of the podcast, we wanted a chance to speak with him about its origins, leadership and change during the pandemic, and how communication can help us navigate times of crisis. Thanks for joining me, Greg. First, I want to say what a treat it has been to work with you on producing the Speaking Well podcast. You know, when you brought the idea to me last August, it seemed crazy to add a new project to our plate, given all the work we were already doing. But I remember we both thought, yeah, this could be fun. So I'd like to start a conversation by having you tell me about your inspirations and motivations behind creating the Speaking Well podcast. Thanks, Carol. It's great to be here on the other side of the microphone, figuratively at least. And you're right, it was kind of crazy to add more work, wasn't it? Um, one of the challenges, I suppose, of working together is we both like to have new ideas and, and pursue them. So I think the thing that was interesting to me or that kind of generated it was, at least in the first instance, we we're really trying to find new ways of communicating with folks in a context in which we'd lost our face-to-face -face settings. So we spend so much time with our students and our colleagues in our community just chatting in the hallways or the classrooms, and that had gone away. Meanwhile, we're really increasing the number of emails we're writing to students. Uh, we sent a lot more emails to faculty and staff, and I really hungered to hear human voice in communication, since that I was connecting with more of a body than just the fingertips that had typed out the email. So, so one piece was just this wanting to hear human voices. And a second thing I think was that so much of that communication I've just talked about was task oriented. So writing to students and saying, here's what your nomad modality looks like, and, and here's how we're going to get you to that, talking to faculty about technical issues. And I wanted to do something that was a bit slower thinking, that wasn't just, here's the issue that's confronted us today, and here's how we're going to solve it, but it was a bit more expansive, a bit more conversational, that slowed down thinking just a little bit. So I think that was a second motivation. Finally, as I looked at the world we were living in, not just a pandemic world, but a world of really challenging political situation with uh, the election that was coming up when we started this, the protests over the summer around police violence against people of color, I thought to myself, there's just really important resources that the thousands of years of communication scholarship can offer us around things like race and politics, public health, work, interpersonal relationships, globalizing media. And in fact, we had really remarkable conversations about those topics. And 
if you go back and listen to those podcasts, you'll hear just extraordinarily moving thoughts from really smart people who've been thinking about their topics for a long time about how we negotiate race, uh, how we might be more successful at politics, how we can use what we learned about how fire departments work to make uh, universities more robust. So it, it's been a really great project, and, and I, I appreciate that you've been willing to go along with me. Yeah, it's been very rewarding. And, you know, I I think that one of the things I regret is that we didn't start recording here at KCSU at the very beginning. We were trying to do it ourselves in the uh, comm studies seminar room. And we had the first guest, Dr. Mira Fa, talking about social support. And it was such a wonderful conversation that unfortunately the audio did not come out very well on. But, you know, she, she brought up ways in which it's important to support each other during a pandemic. And that's something that you've done as the chair of the Department of Communication Studies. We've looked to you to help guide us through the administrative protocols and and also just offering a lot of different types of of support. You've been um, in close contact with, with many faculty and students and staff. And so I'd like for you to just talk about how the department in general has responded to COVID and what are the challenges our students, faculty, and staff have faced over the last year? Yeah, that first conversation with Mira was really powerful for me. I found myself in nearly all these conversations kind of near tears at some point or another or feeling goosebumps. And and she did point to the importance of uh, that we're walking through these events, whether it's COVID or all the other things in our life together. And that we need somebody walking beside us sometimes. And that one of the most powerful things we can do for somebody else is say, I'm, I'm here with you. Can't solve COVID, but we can, we can do this together. So at a really technical level, the department responded to COVID by moving hundreds of classes from fully face-to-face to fully online over the course of about two weeks in March of whatever it was, 2020. There's more than just saying you're going to be online in two weeks. We needed to do a whole bunch of background work. We needed to make sure that folks had the technological ability to do that, the kinds of computers they needed, the ability to record uh, lectures. We built teams to support folks who'd never taught online before, and those teams reached out to and supported those faculty. Uh, and then we communicated a lot with our students to try to give them some sense of, of how this second half of the semester was going to go. And then, as you remember, we had change after change. Every semester looked a little different. So we moved to a hybrid and online in the fall, and we needed to communicate about that and make classrooms that worked right. We had to order thousands of dollars of PPE in our office, and Eliza and I measured distance between desks in A208 in our in our space so that we could have GTAs come back and do their work in the class. And so th- there was just this enormous kind of technical stuff that, that had to happen. So, so we worked pretty hard on that. But the second part of your question was, what are the challenges that students, faculty, and staff have faced? And I think those challenges have to do with two levels. 
that and I've just talked about one of them. One is the kind of just sheer work level. How am I going to shift from, say, a discussion format in my classroom to giving a lecture and then having students respond to it in a in a online discussion? discussion format or, or whatever it happens to be. But the other piece is how do we hang on to those things that have made our jobs so meaningful for all these years, which often is the face-to-face -face interaction with, between students and faculty, or the interaction between faculty and staff or among staff, those kind of accidental conversations we have in the hallway or on the uh, oval. That second piece is, I think, uh, been way harder f for us. How do we keep all those relational components going? I think you raised that with when you when you pointed to Mira's conversation and speaking well. That that second piece. Th the last thing I'll note. I said there were two, and now I'm saying three. So that's perfect. The last thing I really want to note for the faculty, especially our well, all, all faculty and staff was the real challenge of keeping our work going for those who had family at home, uh, children at home in particular, is how are we going to do childcare and teach classes and design a film festival and, and all those kinds of things. I've been really fortunate to not have to take care of younger children. It's just been me and Panda in the basement. But I've really felt for and worried about, I suppose, the, the folks that have tried to keep a full-time job going that they designed to work while children were in school or while you know adult parents, uh, older parents were being cared for in one way or another. So I, I think that's the third thing. And people have experienced that, obviously not just in higher education or in our department, but that really radical shift of the ways in which we manage our fi family, our private life, and our work life. Oh, definitely. I think that's been one of the somewhat, ref well, I was going to say refreshing things that has come out of being in this virtual workspace and seeing into the lives of our colleagues and having this barrier broken down, seeing somebody in what we perceive as a less professional space because we're in their home. And, you know, I, I've actually in, enjoyed that aspect of getting to know my colleagues better, but not everyone enjoys that. Um, Zoom has been super challenging for people. And there have been a lot of folks finding silver linings and some that just simply don't see them at all. And so I'm curious what other responses you have have come to you as the chair um, and ways in which you've seen our faculty and staff and students have to stretch and grow. And I'm also interested in how this past year has changed you as a communicator and a leader in light of this tremendous stew of challenges that we've been faced with. You know, I have had a chance to talk with nearly all the fa well, all the faculty over the course of the last year and all the staff, most of the graduate students in some for form or another, less so the undergraduates, but I've had chance to talk with them too. And I really, I suppose almost every one of those conversations has two themes. One, this is so damn hard, just 
really people struggling, kind of in ways that are familiar across folks, but also that are very particular to each individual. Some of us are pretty comfortable being alone for quite a bit of the time, and we've appreciated that. Others really need interaction, for example, or some folks have had an easier time managing the family parts, whatever. At the same time, virtually every conversation I've had, people have talked in some way or another about perseverance and the sense that they're extraordinarily pleased to have work for those who are working. Students are so grateful that they're making progress towards their degree uh, or whatever it is that they're after. Staff excited and grateful that they have meaningful work to do, not just because of the paycheck, because we can see the importance of recruiting a new class of graduate students or a new class of undergraduate students. We can see that the Center for Public Deliberation and its work still really matters. And so there's been this real oh, bipolar um, sort of response, deep grief and worry and anxiety and pretty powerful gratitude for the opportunities that, they, that we all have to continue to do things that matter to us. I think as I've talked to people, different people have placed themselves in different places among those two poles. Some people see almost no silver linings. Other folks have seen so many. That moves me towards your second question. What, how have we grown or what have we learned? And I, I think we've learned that we can do more with technology than we thought. We can make Zoom meetings work better than we thought. We can actually have larger audiences at certain kinds of events than we would otherwise. You know, I was just at a meeting, I think you were there too, around strategic planning at College of Liberal Arts, and there were 80, 85 folks there, and you would never get that at noon on a Wednesday or whatever it was at the student center. So I've seen some some of those kinds of things. Some of us have talked about the ability to um, be part of international conferences that we wouldn't have been able to otherwise because we could just do it from our home. I think some of those th things have changed. I think we've we've grown also in our recognition that online education can be quality and can be successful. I think we've also really recommitted ourselves to how powerful the face-to-face -face setting is for higher education. Uh, you know, everybody knew it was true, but I think there was some kind of sense out there in the world that, you know, you can just do it online, you can do it remotely. And, and I think we're going to continue some of those, the, the best parts of some of those things. But people really felt the loss of what happens when smart people get in front of each other and just see where the conversation goes. I think I was trying to recreate a little bit of that in this podcast setting. As to how I've changed as a communicator or a leader, gosh, I don't know. I've struggled around two or three things. One is I feel like I've always been three days late. I get a message out to folks a little later than it needs to get to. It takes me a while to process you know, what I'm seeing in the landscape. The second thing that I've really puzzled a lot about is how much communication is the right amount. So we're, we're in the midst of rapid changes last March or as we move towards fall semester. And and we needed to regularly communicate about what those chances were. But if you communicate every day with a long email, people aren't going to read any of them. And so 
I've really had kind of fun thinking about what's the right number of messages. But the last thing, and I think this is the most important and what I tried to do in most of those communications is to bring even more of myself to the communication. It was really easy to focus on the technical problems. The here's where your class is going to be, or here's the computer you need to do your work, or you know, here's the number of masks we've ordered to make sure that everybody is safe. But just as important as that communication was, was to say, I'm, I'm here beside you. I see how hard this can be. I'm feeling how hard it is. I'm feeling losses and grief and anxiety. Again, I think this is probably because we didn't have the face-to-face, but also this is a crisis. I really tried to bring, and I'm trying to bring my full self it's something I probably did anyway some, but we're going to get our work done if we acknowledge that our work involves our emotions, it involves our anxieties and our hopes and our dreams, it involves how our bodies feel. It's not just a cognitive thing. And so I really tried to think about how to bring how my body felt, my anxieties, my hopes and my fears to those communication, not to have that be the topic, but to be part of part of what what we're up to. So that that last one, I think it, it's this these last few months have really driven home to me the importance of uh, connecting to people at that emotional level. At that, uh, we we share some worries and and hopes together. Yeah, I think that's one of the benefits that I very much appreciate about working in the Department of Communication Studies and being part of the College of Liberal Arts is the space that we do allow for that emotive processing and taking time to consider the whole person. And there are some, having had that time to reflect on it, I'm curious how, what does the future look like? Where do we go from here? I mean, we're we're, you said we're rapidly moving into a different space and not that we want to hold on to the challenges of the past, but I'm, I'm curious how communication studies as a discipline moves forward. I'm curious how the department moves forward. Like you can riff on any aspect of what the future uh, of the future that you want to, but I'm just, I'm so curious where we go from here. I'm curious too. And I think we're going to learn together what that future looks like. Well, we're going to make the future together. That's always true. That's been true forever. One of the things we've learned, I think, is that things can change rapidly in in just a very short amount of time. And in that context, it becomes so clear how we co-construct our, our world and our opportunities. And so what the future is, is going to be kind of what we make it. Gosh, that's a cliche, but it's true. So then the question is, what are the things that we learned or are learning from this series of events? And I want to really remind ourselves that it wasn't just COVID. It isn't just COVID. It's also increased efforts for racial and other kinds of social justice. It's the environmental context. It's the 
political context where around the globe democracy is at risk in a way that it hasn't been for a long time. So, so when you pull all those pieces together and you ask how we've responded to this, what are some of the things that we might take forward? Maybe we take forward, maybe the future is one where we bring more of ourselves to all of our work. You talked about seeing you didn't say this you, you said you, you got to see people's you know um personal lives kind of in their homes and i was thinking of all the dogs i got to see and i how much i love dogs but that's a particular example of the other thing that i was saying which is to bring more of my emotive and moral self i spell i suppose to, to work so may, maybe that's one thing we we want to take forward is how do we bring all of ourselves to work whether it's in a face-to-face -face or a online sort of setting. In higher education, I think a second thing that we need to bring with us is the focus that many of us really put on those students who are most at risk. Now, I don't know that we, how successful we were, but I know that the moment we began to think about going fully remotely, virtually everybody I talked to said, almost the very first thing was, what do we do with that student who can't go home? What do we do with the student who doesn't have a computer? What do we do with the student who doesn't have internet access? What do we do with the student whose home isn't safe? Well, that's a question we should be asking regardless. We don't have to be in COVID to ask that question. What, what are the barriers to student success? Not not their ability or their discipline or their willingness, but the structural barriers to people being successful. And how can we address those structural issues? And, you know, we were already thinking about that a lot here at CSU and other places, but this really brought that into relief. Again, the debates around social justice, the ways in which COVID impacted different kinds of people in different regions differently, you know, the political context. And so I think we really have a heightened sense of what constitutes access, what constitutes true access, access where a student cannot just show up at school but can be successful. So I'm really hoping we take that forward with us. I, I think those things, bringing our whole selves being really live to what might stand in the way of somebody's success and, and how can we provide resources. I was just talking to somebody over at OEO and you know, to, to kind of help me with a particular employee issue. And we were talking about thinking about OEO and, and student uh, case management, not as a place to, to think about say a disability as a problem, but rather considering that we're differently positioned in regards to our work or our education, what are the resources we can bring to bear so that people can thrive? I, I hope we bring that energy with us into 2021, 22, 23. Yeah, I really like that idea. I mean, I, and I appreciate you bringing up the, all of the other layers of challenge that this last year, especially last, I mean, between March and November, it just felt like every week there was a new level of or layer of stress that that laid down. And and you know, we've you've we've talked about communication practices and and how the and in times of crisis. And so I just I want to bring to close this podcast with 
you providing some insight, if you could share with our listeners, um, what communication practices or insights do you think could help them navigate times of crisis? And I think about this because, you know, spending a career grounded in communication studies, how has that been helpful for you across a very long year of crisis after crisis? I wish I had like here three tricks to make a crisis go well. (laughs) But one of the things I've thought about virtually from the beginning of this is something that I spend a lot of time talking with undergraduates when I teach a class called the History and Theory of Rhetoric. It used to be called uh, Rhetoric and Western Thought, but History and Theory of Rhetoric. And what I puzzle with students about is, I don't frame it quite this way, but it's in my head, is If you bring a public together, a group of people together, and they have to make decisions about the past, so who did what to whom and what should the consequence of that be, and we have to make decisions about who we're going to be in the future. Should we raise taxes or go to war or, or, you know, should we go back to classes fully face to face? If you have to bring people together and you have to make decisions, and you can't know for sure what the right answer is. What's the tool or the tools or the ways of thinking necessary to make the best possible decisions? Not the right decision, because the right decision assumes that there's certain knowledge and that all the consequences of a decision will be good. Those things aren't true in, in the world we live in. We, li- we live in a gray world. We live in a world of uncertainty. And by gum, if you didn't believe that in 2019, you surely believe it in 2021. We simply can't know for sure. Well, it seems to me that in multiple traditions, the Western tradition, the Chinese tradition, uh, African traditions of thinking about human communication, This problem of making decisions when we can't know for sure has as its answer something like theories and practices of communication, what we call um, out of the Western tradition rhetoric. What rhetoric asks us to do is to bring to bear our past our understandings of how the world has worked before, how people have interacted, knowledge of law, politics, science, environment, uh, human character, to make arguments based on these kinds of knowledges and data for the purpose of making decisions. Well, we need that. And there's no simple way to do that. There's no simple way to learn it. There's no single rule that will guarantee success. But what I do believe is that careful and lifelong study and practice of making hard decisions together through human communication has hope. We we can get better at this. I believe that. So I think that's the one thing I've learned um, or had reinforced what was kind of a fun theoretical principle that I would talk about 
you know, in class or write about in papers became an embodied reality that today I don't know what tomorrow is going to look like. But with the communities I live with, we're going to have to make some decisions and we're going to have to take some actions. We can't just stop. So I, I think being comfortable with uncertainty. And in fact, in those moments when we think we have certainty, to remind ourselves that we don't. We, we, we need to be willing to live in the unknown. And that might help us be really humble. Humble about what we know, humble about whether we're right. And that might lead us uh, perhaps to one of the themes of the podcasts over the course of the last um, year. Uh, we've heard this again and again, Carol, that l l let's listen carefully to other people. Let's slow down our judgment. We heard this from from the very first podcast with Mira um, through Nick's talk about uh, comedy, Liz talked about this, and Eric talked about this. I mean, everybody talked about this. Let's slow down. Let's listen. But let's also um, make the best decisions we can using our reasoning ability, humbly knowing we're wrong. I mean, we're just wrong. We have to be because we don't know for sure. Um, I, I think we could solve a, I think we'd solve a lot of problems by slowing down a little bit, moving to judgment a little later, drawing on our history to imagine a future, not drawing on our history simply to go back. We, we don't want 2019, we really don't. Um, we want whatever we can build together for 2022. That's a really long answer to the question, hey, what's a life hack? <laughs> oh no but it was just so many wonderful pieces inside of that and I I think it is very valuable for us to embrace um, and be uncomfortable with uncertainty as you say and it just really struck me as you were talking how much of a exercise that is uh, apart from, it's not a digital exercise, if you want to go into the verbiage of analog versus digital. Like, it's just something slowing down and thinking without distraction, thinking without a device in your hand. It's not something that we spend a lot of time training in. And it's something that I do think that that face-to-face -face educational experience is providing our students that they're probably not getting in their apartment with their roommates and on the weekends with friends. So I really, I just, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day, Greg, to, yeah. to think back across this last year with the podcast and such a monumental time in our lives. And I'm just really grateful again to have had the opportunity to, to do this with you. So it's been great to work with you on the project. And of course, all of our colleagues yes. who joined us in conversation and, uh, Matt, who's helped us out at KCSU, so it's you know it's like everything else; it's a group project, and yep. uh, we we co-created it. So thank you very much. Yeah, thank you, and we'll we'll see where it goes in the future. Good. All right, take care.
Speaking Well is a production of the Department of Communication Studies at Colorado State University. The podcast is recorded and edited by KCSU 90.5 FM. Greg Dickinson was our guest and is usually the host. I am Carol Bush filling in for Greg. And until next time, speak well.